welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey, hey, hey. What's up, everybody? Knock On Podcast coming at you from this awesome hotel room <laughs> i'm with my buddy john timar from Killcliffe, and we just got done with an an amazing night with the navy seal foundation and i thought it'd be a really good time to do a podcast because well one you guys are doing so much to support the navy seal foundation and obviously several of my friends now are that's affected you know affected so many of their friends life last night um in the the second page of the manual it was you know it was all the fallen guys right uh all the service members have lost their lives and uh, andy i didn't know it i kind of asked andy i said how many of those people were you know people that you were familiar with because you you know it seems like the seal the seal community is so much bigger than what the outsiders looking in think you know it's a it's a very vast community but andy just literally put his finger on and he goes see this all the way to this yeah he said those were those were all mine he's like you know yeah a disproportionate number of the uh the fallen were from some of the commands where andy served Mm mm-hmm yeah, it was, I mean, I, when he showed me, I was like, oh man, okay. Yeah. Cause he asked me, I, vid- I videoed it all and he asked me if I'd give it to him. And then I kind of, you know, made that comment. And then once he showed me, I thought, oh, you know, shit. It's unbelievable. And, and the look at it, you're, you're looking at it like it's two pages, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's two pages and it's like, it's like the font where, you know, I'm getting a little older now. I, I got to it's hard to see like mm-hmm. there's a lot of guys on there um and it, it, it's very interesting because of the way it's, it's broken out like it's not just seals that have you know that fall in um, yeah yeah that you was know cool. operationally at, at a seal unit many seals have gone on to serve in, in you know uh, intelligence units and um and diplomatic missions and also one thing that's that's very apparent when you look at it is the danger just in the training, mm-hmm. the operation tempo associated with training. Yeah, um, it's just it's a it's an it's an awesome community. It's an awesome place. It's also yeah. a super dangerous place. It's a place they have a lot of fun. But yeah, um, it, it's it's really it was. I mean, it, every time you see it, it's it's super humbling, and uh, and the Navy SEAL Foundation does a, a very good job of of I think in my opinion, like uh, bringing the awareness to. Um, the sacrifice that's been made yeah in a very tasteful way and we had we got to hear from some families about how the uh nsf has helped those families i continue to broaden out um i did a charity event with matt bess too and we were going for uh uh i think it's called boot campaign um, which is, you know, Matt was, I don't know a lot about it, but Matt was, uh, super passionate about it. And we raised some money for, for that as well, which was, um, you know, I want to work on something with all different branches because for whatever reason, this, I'm really drawn 
I'm super drawn to devoting time and devoting assets and devoting, you know, honestly, anything that like my give back, I just, I feel like giving back to these types of things are just, you know, they, they make Sharon and I feel good. So this was really cool to be able to see some of those families and how well the Navy SEAL Foundation is doing. Um, When did you, what was your year in BUDS? I was in BUDS in 96, a long time ago. And what year did you graduate? Um, I graduated in 96. No, I mean, I'm sorry, what what class? Oh, 206. Oh, you were? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. This is the last hard bunch of classes, we like to say. I think every SEAL cuts that joke, right? Yeah, yeah, (laughs) I've heard that probably 20 times. It was a beatdown. We we didn't graduate many people, I will say that. Yeah. Um, We we had the... uh, that we suffered early on in our class from poor leadership and it was painfully apparent um you know and the instructors didn't like the guys that were running it initially the the oic and it took them a good five weeks to get that guy out of there and they made us pay the man in our class you just watched it just dwindle the whole way <laughs> like it was i liked the guy too he wasn't that bad they just had they just, they just had a heart on for this guy so well that's part of life, you know. You you gotta li- yeah. live with your leadership. I remember, I was in football one time, and my team went out, and I was so committed. I mean, I did every camp I could do. I was always, I rarely slept. I was always practicing, prepping, right. And we just had this terrible practice, and we were. It was it was right before. I think like our first conference game or something. It was a pretty important time. And the team was just, you know, I looking back, it was probably my fault and one of my my buddies' faults for not we were get we were kind of getting involved with the jacking, you know, the jacking around or not really getting people to focus because it was just one of those days where the coaches are finally just like, you know what? freaking you guys pack up your shit and get out of here you're done and i mean we had only been in practice maybe 30 minutes what were you guys doing just like during warm-ups people were you know no one was stretching and you know someone got cracked with a helmet and someone drilled someone in the face with a football and you know just start and then people were like (laughs) running into each other i mean it just it looked you know it it was a fiasco it was just one of those days right so they cut us loose, and I I knew we were in trouble. And I'm like, okay, tomorrow is going to be bad. <laughs> and as I was going away, as I was running away, the coach goes, Dudley, come back here for a minute. So I come back, and I go, what's up? And he goes, he said, you're the leader of this team. And he said, so you're going to pay for, he goes, I don't cut practices early. And he said, and at our football field, our football field where we practiced was in the middle of four, there were four baseball diamonds all around the perimeter of the field. So when we would, like normally at the beginning of practice, we'd run a backstop, which means around all four, it'd probably be probably a half mile, you know, Mm -hmm. or so around, maybe a little bit more, but literally around the outside of four baseball fields all facing each other with a football field in the middle and he goes i want to backstop for every minute that we're (laughs) 
that were late. One backstop was the whole thing? Yeah. He said, I want a backstop for every minute I've had to cut this practice short. And he goes, and you will do that every time I cut a practice short. Nice. So I just went out there and just ran for like, I don't even know how long. It was, I just ran and ran and ran and he never even he never even stayed to know that i counted but i mean it was a lot i probably suffered in silence oh yeah and i think about the time i think people saw me running a couple teammates came out and they're like what are you doing and i said i'm you know i'm running for the team and then the next day you know there was a few guys that are like man i want to make sure we do that again you know, keep you running. <laughs> but, you know, I made sure that my other friends that were leading like the defense and stuff, you know, I'm like, this is, you know, that this isn't going to happen again. So there's a lot of different ways to skin that cat, you know, but if you are a leader, then yeah, you need to, to own up for when the team is a bunch of knuckleheads in that case, then all you guys you know, owned up for your leader being a knucklehead. Yeah, guess. we did. I, I'd say the only difference between your story and, and what we <laughs> so uh, suffered was it was flip. It was all of us together, right? So, um, I mean, there were times when a group might single it out, but uh, it was just we all had to pay the man for the poor leadership. And when did you get out? I got out in 99. So I basically came in 95 and went straight into the Navy Special Warfare community. And then 99, I went out and went to college. And then where'd you go? I went to University of Colorado Boulder, just up the road from where we are. Oh, right now. that's right. Yeah, you, CU Boulder. You're so, going to Boulder today, aren't you? To see Tosh? Yeah, we're going. I'm going up to hang out with Tosh and Nicole. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah, they're such good people. Well, so how did you how did you end up at Killcliff? Like, what was that what was that path? That's a really interesting question. Um, so I I served with uh, Todd Ehrlich, who started the company. Yeah. And um, we were at SEAL Team 8 together, and we share share a peer group. So we're, we're, we became friends. Even though we, we didn't deploy together, we we had all the same buddies. So that's how we got to know each other. And I when I got out of the service, I, I didn't get out of the service because I didn't like it. I got out of the service because I was pursuing something else that was similar in a similar field, right? It was yeah. like, you know, special operations and the intelligence community. Yeah. And I wanted to get college. In my understanding, time is I need to get college to do this thing, and that's what I'm gonna go do. Um, so that's that was the path I pursued. And um, long story short, is fast forward a few years, and I just randomly end up doing these these startup companies. I just got into it. Um, yeah. You know, um, as I was finding my way in the world, um, and uh, and I had this peer group. We'd stayed very close. We're still very close today. In fact, some of us are going down and. Uh, November at the muster in Fort Pierce and we're swimming out the ashes of some falling frogmen. And oh yeah, it's a pretty cool event. One of my friends, uh, fathers, uh, had, was a frogman. He was a frogman. His dad passed this year. So it's a personal thing. Yeah. Um, so long story short is I, I'd been kind of doing these startups and I, I'd grown up in the Atlanta area and, and Todd had moved from New York down to Atlanta and, um, and he'd started a couple companies and finally he starts this thing. Killcliffe, like right around the time that I relocated to Atlanta. Um, but I was in a different startup. I was in a software startup, and it was doing quite well. And we talked at the time about potentially collaborating on Killcliffe, but I, I was kind of loyal to this Naval Academy guy that brought me down to Atlanta mm-hmm. for this software startup. Um, and I was doing it, and I got to a point, and I, I think other people probably share this experience, 
where even though it was exciting and cool, and for me as a former SEAL and some of the stuff I did when I was younger in my career, I, I, I find this adrenaline in sort of um, uh, uncertain situations. Yep. The building of things that are new, mm-hmm. the challenges of not having, uh, you know, a complete complete um, visibility into the future mm-hmm. and not having set processes. But I kind of got to a point where I felt like I could give more than I was doing. I was, mm. you know, I'd been successful, and this is a very long-winded answer to your, your <laughs> no, question, I like by the it. way. I um, like it. But uh, I'm just trying to give some color to how it all happened. So I remember vividly, like for me, transitioning out of the military, even though I had these other objectives, uh, they were really cool. Um, it was tough, and this is, and you know, I served in a pre-war environment when I was a SEAL. Um, it was a very, it was very intense op- operation tempo, and. But it's nothing like what people have been through in the last, you know, couple decades, right? right. So, um, I, uh, I was, I, I just kept thinking about my transition, and there were a couple of programs that the Navy SEAL Foundation backed that started up, and, and one of them was called the Honor Foundation, and the Honor Foundation was specifically geared towards guys that are getting out who spent. You know, anywhere from it could be anywhere from six, eight, ten, twelve, twenty years downrange, basically yep. in this advanced op tempo. Where you, I mean, you heard Admiral Pibus talk mm-hmm. last night about he gave an example of a guy who maybe would have been in about twelve or fifteen years and done about twelve or fifteen deployments. Yeah, I mean that's that's crazy. Yeah, but that's what it's like, right? So, um, so I felt like my friends were that stayed in were getting to the point where they're going to retire mm-hmm. or starting to transition out. And I'd had this experience in parallel to them where I felt like I could help them. Like I could yeah. fast track, Hey, you're going to get like back into Civland and as we call the civilian yeah. fleet, like yeah. Civland, you're going to get back into the civilian world and you have all these skills. And I kind of cut my teeth the hard way and I'll, te- I'll help fast track you into getting good jobs and figuring, understanding what things are. So I, um, I, I, I started mentoring for the Honor Foundation because that's like a four-month crash course. It's like a college crash course at night. They, have, they do field trips to Amazon and to Google, and they're really well-connected. They go up to Silicon Valley all the time, and they do city trips. And so I had this idea. I'm sitting in Atlanta, and I'm kind of doing the software startup, and I'm like, you know, I can do more. Let me just call these guys and see if they want to do like a visit to Atlanta. And, you know, I love the city, and I grew up there, and I was gone for 20 years, and I came back. And um, so I called up. I call up Todd and, uh, and I was like, Hey Todd, like could Killcliff be sort of the, the, the sponsor slash anchor for Atlanta trip because we need a place to do an event. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need something to rally around. And it was that conversation. Cause we'd always been friends, but we didn't really get into the weeds of business. We were doing these two different things. Yeah. And he's like, look, I'm, you know, I'm on the board and, uh, we have this, this CEO that we brought in from, like, you know, proper consumer packaged goods, General mm-hmm. Mills guy, and uh, um, talk to him about it because I'm, you know, Todd's Todd's very good about starting these companies. He has, he's a serial entrepreneur, has many really successful companies right now. They're, they're kind of in his, that he started and he founded and he's mm-hmm. part of. But he also is extremely good at backing away and letting the people that he's putting in places run those companies. That's such a, that's such a important quality that, um, that I can't stress enough all the places where I've worked, where things have, have circulated well places that were healthy places that kept people like kept good teams. There are all places where the leadership allows the people that they hire in their specialty to actually do what they're special at. Um, right. Because, and a lot of times it's, you know, 
a lot of times they want to hire the best, but they also still want to like, you know, I, I had this, I actually had a very similar conversation with a very close friend of mine the other day. Um, I, ha I had a kind of a business proposal come in front of me. I looked at it. I liked it. And I called someone I really trusted. And I said, can you go into this blind and give me a full outside perspective right. of what's going on? And so, you know, I kind of said, here's who I want you to talk to. Same people I talk to. I'm, I'm kind of telling them that, you know, that you're kind of a wingman on this deal. So they'll, you know, just, I said, go in blind. And yeah, when he came out, he's the, one of the things he said was, um, or when he called me, he goes, as you know, I'm sure he goes, w one of the things that you're going to have to navigate is they like to talk way, like they like to take over the conversation. Like this is obviously going to be a micromanagement type situation, which, you also, if you're good at what you do, you also can try to learn to navigate that. Sometimes, right. you know, it, it will limit where you go, but sometimes the biggest limitation is when that leader can't step back. So the fact he did that was right. was freaking right on. And you know from, I mean, the type of business you've been in, if you're in a, a small startup type environment, you can't hire people that you really have to manage because you have so much that you're doing and you have to wear so many hats especially when it kind of gets to a point like i remember when i started at my first bow company there were 20 people there and then and then all of a sudden once you get to the point where you have to bring in hr it's, there there's like a big change and then i remember when all when all of a sudden we had to bring in um mrp or like you know crp type protocols for right once that happened, we brought in um, we brought in a a company that came in, and I remember he said in the meeting, he goes, "Now that your company is to this point, because they had kind of brought in some of the main leaders, main main sales guys, marketing guys, and then the upper management." And he said, "The reality is, probably half of you will be gone in a year because he said you're not going to be able to." you're not going to like the type of growth that this company has to go through right now to right. get to a different level. And he was spot on. I mean, there were people bouncing out of there just because, you know, they'd always done something this exact way or, you know, because of flow management, we had to shuffle offices to different places so that we could consolidate, you know, cause when you're growing, you're just like, Hey, we need this guy okay, where can, where can his desk go, right? Right. And you get to this point where everyone just keeps, it's like getting Legos, you know, you get your first Lego and maybe it's this small little thing and then you loved them, but then you're like, I want to build a bigger one and you just keep getting all these small packages and you build this thing and you realize this is, it just looks like a bunch of trailer houses put together, but it's, I actually want a mansion. You got to disassemble, reassemble in a way to where it functions. And right? it's happening consistently, right? So like there's it's a common saying I've heard, and I'm probably going to botch it, but the guys that get you to 10 million might not be the same people who get you 50 million, right? In revenue. And they go back to bring it back to the Killcliffe story. So when, when I started doing this, it was trying to find an anchor for the transition program. And I met with the, the CEO at the time, Joe, and we had some conversations and he was totally in, um, 
you know, I just I just turned around a, a software company. That's I kind of got into a situation where I was turning around companies for investors. Yeah. Um, and which is really tough, especially like in a in venture capital venture capital portfolio. If you have ten companies, like seven of them are going to fail. I mean, that's just what's going to happen. These guys are making risky bets. They, they're trying their best with diligence, and and they might get a base hit with one or two, mm-hmm. and then they get one that's like that's like a triple or a home run. It makes up for all the losses, right? I've heard that a lot yeah. of times. They'll they'll like go in with ten things, and yeah. they're cool, like you know, losing at a certain rate for because they know eight of them are definitely going to not make it, right? But they know that. There's two that are in this pile that are probably going to be big hitters, and and, and that's it, that's what it is. And and they 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 think it's kind of like buds. You never know. It's like yeah. you you pick out the guy who looks like God's gift to the world. He's like Adonis, and uh, and you think that's the dude who's going to make it through buds. And it's the the guy who's. I had a guy in my class who literally gained weight and got fat during buds. <laughs> um, it was, <laughs> I'm not going to say his last name. His first name is Chad. And if he hears this, he will know I'm talking about him. And it was very demoralizing because we would be on form. Like, I was a linebacker in high school. So running was a tough part for me and, like, distance running and endurance running. And I remember vividly, like, my first four-mile conditioning run on the beach. And I got this guy, John, that I'm close friends with. My, you know, we instantly clicked. We're close friends to this day. And and we're like in the last quarter mile stretch. You know, you can hear the instructors like yelling out the times. Oh, yeah. And buds, you all you have to beat your time consistently from the previous week. Imagine doing that for six months, right? Yeah, that's really tough. So we, I remember with John, like we heard this noise behind us, like a gallop. And I look over to John. I'm like, dude, what's that? He's like, I don't know, man. And then all of a sudden, this guy Chad comes booking by us, and he was like a fat dude. And it was very demoralizing because we're like, dude, what's going on here? Turns out Chad had been a sprinter in his early days, so oh. having the uh, the that last umph uh, and the, the the final stretch was he was good at that. Um, anyway, but you never know. So so when I started talking to Killcliffe about you know, and I'd always been a friend of the company, right? But I was doing my own thing um, about this Honor Foundation and transition program. The the CEO came back to me because we had breakfast one day and he talked to me about like some of the business problems, right? Because Kilcliffe has been around and, and since ele- two, 2011 and it's, it's kind of in this sort of, it's past the startup mode, but it's kind of in like the next growth mode and he was having various problems and how would you approach those from the industries you've been in, John? And it turned into, hey, would you just do a little side hustle like consulting gig for me and look at the pro- some of these issues in the business that I'm having problems with? And yeah. I said, I said yeah, sure, no problem. I'm kind of, I've been doing this technology thing for like seven, eight years, and I'm kind of tapped out on it. Yeah. Um, I'm getting kind of bored. And so I took it as a side hustle. I went down there like once, one Thursday a week and would just like take, like look at things that he had and give him my opinions. And then over the holidays, this is about a year and a half ago, um, he just like, he's like, hits me with like, hey, would you consider coming on and running our sales organization? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? I, I was really happy because. Um, I felt like looking back when Todd and I first talked about Kilcliffe, like not doing that with him was a missed opportunity. And, yeah. And uh, and being at full circle and being able to be part of an organization, it's like, it's charitable. And the, the cool thing about the Kilcliffe story, people don't hear because no one talks about it, is like in the early days, guys like Todd Ehrlich and Chris Irwin, who were super instrumental in the companies, yeah, they were, they were as a startup company, they were stroking checks to the Navy SEAL Foundation before they could even make payroll. Yeah. That's phenomenal. And then they were yeah. they had enough leadership to keep people employed and high, excited about the future. I mean, these guys are super excited. Yeah. And what's been really cool is since I got involved in 
And what we were talking about earlier, we made, we've made a huge transformation over the last year from really a field-based organization to digital. So all those things you talked about were true, like the Legos and getting them in place. Like mm-hmm. there are a lot of good people that were great for getting Killcliffe to where it was. They weren't as relevant for the future. So we had to make a lot of hard choices of, of like who's on the team, and who's not on the team. And it's based upon your ability to get us to that next level not necessarily the contribution you've made to get us to where we are. Yeah. And that was really tough. I what I really like the the further I go in life, I just I really like the fact that I'm continually getting into companies where I can I can have a personal relationship with people right. and once that happens I, pretty quick I'm in or I'm out, you know. I'm I mean I either realize these people are here for an awesome reason. They're super passionate about it. The product's good. Like it doesn't even matter. I want, this is such a cool thing. I just want to be in the middle of that, you know, and it's, it's fun to get in that because if I'm ever around you or GW, super high energy. When Chris Irwin was there, loved Chris too, loved Chris too. Still, you know, I'm so happy Chris is with the Navy SEAL foundation now. Um, but it just goes on and on. The same was true with the Black Rifle. Same is true with the Yeti guys. Same is true with the Sika guys. Same was true, you know, every single one of these kind of outside demographics to the hunting community. I think these stories are so valuable because people in the hunting community and people that are in the archery community, we're kind of limited to a small number of, you know, of companies. And the reality is we don't, shoot archery all day every day we also have you know interests that are outside of that you know for me cooking was an interest but i wasn't any good at it and quite frankly i think because my i was marginal at like what it tasted like um i wasn't that passionate about it when traeger came in and that was lucky that someone i had worked with at another company you know, I had developed a good relationship with Zach. And when I, when I went out to UA, me and Jed and Zach, we would go out together. And what was funny is we weren't even like kind of part of the, the click of, you know, UA, UA had its favorites and I was kind of right on the outer ranks of that. You know, Mm -hmm. my, I think one time I was referred to, well, often I was referred to as the captain of the B team. So we always, when I would come to town, it would be for a big event, but people above me would go out to, to eat together or whatever. And then right. I would be kind of with the B team guys, which, you know, we were, we kind <laughs> of had our own, the field. yeah, we, we <laughs> had our own little text chain. That's just like, you know, what stuff we were shooting and everything that we were doing. But, um, you know, Jed, uh, was one of those and Zach was one. Well, Zach ended up leaving, going off down a different road and he ended up working with Tyler who you met Tyler Stark uh, at Traeger. So they were kind of talking about people that this might be a good fit for. And he's just like, man, you know, Dud's such a cool guy, you know, that he could, he like, I think he really fits your vibe of, you know, what you guys have going on in here. And so that's kind of how that happened. And, and once all that starts circulating, you're just, you're in this pool of positive and it's amazing. Like once I got all of you guys together at total archery challenge, that was 
an incredible like that was cool that synergy was awesome which by the way i know we haven't talked much archery yet in this podcast <laughs> but but uh just through the different things that um because there is no way i would have been on kill cliff's radar right i mean um baker actually yeah. you know did that and then andy kind of backed me and vouched for me you know as someone that that and and honestly the reason i pursued i pursued killcliff um was because i freaking loved your stuff i mean i was i was almost consuming it before yeah i was almost a dead mummy one day at the top at the very end of a of a ridiculous elk hike and i was you know i felt like I felt like I was about ready to just die. I felt like I was a shriveled up mummy. (laughs) And uh, Andy's like, I got that whole cooler of Killcliff back in in the back of my truck. And I go, what's that? And he's like, have you never had one? And I go, no. He goes, you've heard me talk about him, right? I go, yeah. So we we had kind of dropped our trucks at one location. And we had walked like 15 miles and came out of this ri- this river system at a different area, so we were going to have the guy, one guy, go grab her truck and bring it back. Right. So Andy made a call, or I think they called, and they're like, "Hey, we're um, we're still at the trucks. What what do you what do you need from here?" And, and Andy goes, um, "Bring that cooler, kill cliff." And he goes, "And." don't forget the kill cliff or something like that. And then when they came, they, they like threw out some ice cold kill cliffs. I mean, it, it could have been, it could have been a commercial for you guys, you know, this Sounds like sweaty, it, sweaty, yeah. cold kill cliff launching through the air. I grab it and I'm just like, Oh my God. Cause we didn't, me and Andy didn't, we didn't know this was going to be this kind of a day at first. We ended up getting behind a bull <laughs> and just kept pushing and pushing Andy ended up shooting a bear. So I ended up, um, we had to like, you know, because of the heat, I had to fully process this bear, kind of get it all tucked away where it would stay good. So we could hike back in to get it out. We didn't have pack, uh, pack frame packs. Um, so, I mean, we were just exhausted and I cracked that thing open and started drinking it and it took a while to like crack the, you know, when your throat's so dry, it like takes a while to like swell in. And I'm like, dude, this is awesome. And then I started reading the can because I'm I'm a label reader, and <clears throat> I'm like, why have I not, why have I never heard of this? I said, dude, I would drink these. You know, I, I said I would drink these. This is the best alternative to to you know any. And he's like, yeah, I know they they just you know aren't like hitting mainstream yet and stuff. And then obviously that that took off. And um, and then I approached you guys and I you know, I said like, Hey, I would love to work with you in some capacity. Right. And obviously for you guys to re to kind of go into the hunting community was probably kind of a far stretch. Right. And now when I look at people that, because I follow certain hashtags, the amount of kill cliffs that are showing up, like in the hunting community and in the cooking community is crazy. Right. It's amazing. And by the way, that that whitetail tenderloin we had a couple months back—that was money. <laughs> so you have that cooking has come a long way. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. It has. Oh, um, I, I agree to that. Yeah. It's 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 really interesting. I, I once heard uh, Todd in an interview. Um, 
the founder of the company talk about, you know, they were talking about things he's most proud of. And he, and he, and he mentioned that what floors him the most, and I imagine this happens to a lot of founders that, that, you know, build product companies is when you go across the country and you're like in a gas station or a, a supermarket and, and then yeah. you see your can on the shelf. Right. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. It's like, it's unbelievable. And, and we, we met with the Navy SEAL foundation um, earlier this week and uh, the CEO Robin had, had said the same thing. And, and that's one of the things that, that as we've expanded, we've we've literally doubled our points of distribution just over the last nine months. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's been massive growth, and um and for her, like she's like to build awareness to the mission. That's one of the reasons we have their logo on our can, right? It's, yeah, it's because we're trying to build awareness for the mission and try to uh you know get more eyes on it and hopefully more money for the foundation and the families. And uh, and she said the same thing. She's just like it's just awesome. Like when I go to you know my local grocery store or something or I'm on a trip and I, I pop into a store and I see a, I see Killcliffe there. Yeah. And then I see our logo on it. And Kill, you're getting ready to go into a different stratosphere with this CBD. <laughs> oh yeah. Dude. How do you like it? It's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's so good. The orange Kush. The can looks awesome. I think the can, just the appearance of the can, but it's still, it's still, what I originally loved about the recovery aspect of, you know, technically the, there's three different types of kill cliff for those of you out there. The ignite is an energy one. The recovery is more like me kind of being a little bit of a fitness dork and kind of really limiting, you know, I don't drink soft drinks or like energy drinks, so to speak. Sure. So that was kind of right in my wheelhouse. And then, then Dur was, something you guys brought out for like kind of a during workout thing. Um, but the, the new CBD version is going to be the recovery, more or less the recovery product. Right. But with, with, with CBD. With C- yeah. And we'll, we'll look at, we have some new flavors that we're going to roll out there. Real, I can't talk about them right now, yeah. but they're going to be awesome. Yeah. Um, we're super excited. Uh, that was something that it was really cool to, because, you know, I've been, I think you and I may have talked about this in the past. I've been a consumer of CBD now for a couple of years. I, I didn't. It's changed several of my friends' lives, and I've been getting told for years that, and I was reluctant that I should just incorporate it in. And then now, you know, Barclos like, listen, it's changed my life. And his wife said the same. And the older you get, you start to deal with ailments. And um, yeah, I I think it's it's something that. You know, I, I struggle with what brand do I buy? It's hard to find it, exactly. you know, and all that stuff. So for me, this is going to be a, this is going to be my daily routine without even thinking about it. Well, so th- I'm glad you brought that up. Um, the one, that's when we looked at the, you know, the opportunity to bring this to the market. We have so many customers that are just like you and it's, it's prolific in the veteran community and people are using it to, to help them with anxiety uh, you know, anti-inflammation, pain management. And that, that's actually how I, how I started using it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I have a bum ankle from an Epic snowboarding bust a few years ago. <laughs> and I, I waited, like, I honestly just got an MRI a couple of weeks ago and found out that I broke my ankle and didn't know it. And, um, but I, a couple of years ago, I was in a, uh, like a little, like a natural food sort of mom and pop mm-hmm. in Atlanta area. And, uh, one of my friends had been bragging about like and i'd heard like some radio people yep. on my commutes and stuff talking about cbd they were former nfl guys and so i saw some and they had like a topical that you could try yep and i, I literally put it on my foot i didn't believe it like honestly it was skeptical right mm-hmm. and i put it on my foot and literally it wasn't like 
hey, in a couple of minutes, you're going to feel like better. It was literally like for me in a way it interacted with my body, like within seconds. And I was like, wow, this is actually, and I started buying it. Mm-hmm. Um, and go back to the point you made a second ago, like when we looked at this as something to do um, for the reasons and the people, like the, the, our customers are putting their bodies through hell every day. Mm-hmm. Um, whether they're veterans, whether they're, uh, cro- we grew up in CrossFit. Yeah, we have a like, for sure. huge functional fitness, mixed martial arts, this very sort of like, hardcore active lifestyle type community of customers um and uh and it's such a wild west right now for us we looked at like hey we can we have the scale and the ability to provide reliable source and consistent sourcing of high quality ingredients to people that already want this stuff they're already consuming it and the beverage format is such a convenient way to consume it yeah um Mm -hmm. and we went from from idea to production to um we're actually to selling the product and we've had it on the market now for a week and a half and we've sold just a tremendous amount without even like market to make we haven't spent a dollar in marketing <laughs> um, yeah. and we it, and it's you just might been, not have to because it's a good product well you know? we want we want to reach a broad audience with it so we will <laughs> but 90 days we did it in yeah. 90 days it's yeah. been remarkable um so and there's a lot of excitement and we've been very fortunate to, to be able to pull that off and i think people are the response we're getting right now is is unbelievable. What's cool is you, you know you're in. It's it's neat to be involved with someone who's who's in different aspects of things that are very similar to almost everybody I, I deal with. So yourself and GW, who were both at the Total Archery Challenge with us, you guys are both total jitsu nerds. We are. I mean, G Dubs super 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 legit from I'm partially from, legit <laughs> yeah you're a brown belt yeah i'm brown belt okay yeah i've been brown belt for a few years um <laughs> g-dub is on next level like he's and he's actually kind of a he won't talk about himself he's super humble yeah for everyone who knows him and uh just a great guy but he's a two-time world champion and that's pretty phenomenal and in the atlanta jiu-jitsu scene he's literally like a legend i went to the atlanta open which is one of those um those uh international brazilian jiu-jitsu federation like yeah. certified events um i went to it with them like earlier this year we just went to watch some friends uh that were fighting and uh and competing and um i walked in with with they call him deuce i walked in with deuce and like people were literally like oh dude you know deuce i didn't know you knew deuce i'm like Man, i work with him every day <laughs> <laughs> and and uh and then i had this opportunity there was a, a frogman who's pursuing the ufc type of career professional fighting um mm-hmm. named uh mitch aguiar mitch uh was down in atlanta and stopped by to see us and we all went out and trained together and i'd never g dub and i go to different schools yeah so i'd never trained with g dub and um it was he's next level i i felt absolutely you know how it is i felt i i've heard you talk about rolling with jocko yeah i imagine it was a similar situation for me against g-dub like i literally <laughs> felt helpless and i've been training <laughs> since 06 um and it was my team guy buddies that got me into it um i hurt my hip when i was in the service pretty bad and I, i'd had years and years of pain like yep. just bad pain in my hip i tore up my sacroiliac joint and though i got I actually got as a big guy got into all these endurance sports when yeah. i was in and even afterwards but um i hurt my hip pretty bad and i did i kind of was in this moment of atrophy for it was like a multi-year period where i was like i wasn't working out much anymore i was getting out of shape and i i felt bad about it physically and mentally and i was talking to one of my buddies um and he's like dude because he, he remember when i hurt myself i hurt myself uh skydiving and he's like uh you need to uh 
you need to try his jujitsu stuff. Everyone loves it. It'll get you, it'll help you, you know, kind of maintain your edge. And, and I started doing it in 2006 at our Hoist Gracie Academy. And here I am today still doing it. And um, brown belt, I'm not, nothing spectacular, but for me, it's like a, this is what I tell people about jujitsu. Um, and everyone has their own philosophies and opinions on it. But, um, and this is me, I'm a lazy guy, right? Like, I mean, I work hard and I'm passionate about things and I, I bust my butt, but I'm inherently wired to be a little bit lazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it shows when I work out, you know, I go for a run, whatever, um, lift weights. I'm never going to push myself as much when I'm working out by myself. I'm not Josh Bridges. Josh Bridges is a freak. He he will, he'll work out in a garage by himself and go like, you know, get top placements in CrossFit games. Yeah. That's not me. I'm working out in the garage for about 20 minutes and I'm gonna get distracted, listen to ACDC song. And like (laughs) the next thing you know, I'm walking the dog and that's, oh man, I look pumped. Right. (laughs) Um, So when I do jujitsu, the thing about is even if I'm having a bad day, I have to defend myself. And that other guy or gal could be having the best day of their life and I have to spar them and I don't know it. And next thing you know, they're trying to choke me out. And you know, there are days where even I'm a brown belt now. There's some great lower belts out there that they're 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 good enough to where they might get your number and you're not expecting it and yeah. and uh, and so like I have to push myself when I go because if I don't it's I'm gonna have physical pain as a result and so for me there's this mental toughness about it and I go in the morning I literally go at like 7 a.m. yeah and that makes it even worse because if you're getting a good night of sleep and you're waking up like oh man like I'm about to go get smoked <laughs> and the, the thing about it is like I, every belt's different I remember when I got my blue belt it was pretty that was a pretty big deal it took me 18 months um and uh, you know I was training about three days a week or so um kind of I had this like like sort of balance going all my life to where I could kind of do everything and still do that and uh and when I got my blue belt, like I, I literally graduated into this advanced class because we had so many students, they partitioned out like the white belts and everyone else. Yeah. And I felt like like a stud. And I went in there and I started, I got smoked by all the advanced <laughs> blue belts and purple belts. Like for six months, I was just getting crushed. And then I kind of, I was getting better and better though. And then next thing you know, I was holding my own. The next thing you know, I was like, people were cannon fodder to me. And, and that was pretty much like the hardest transition until I made brown belt. Is now that I made brown belt and where I train in Atlanta Alliance headquarters are literally our, our head instructor, Leo is the, like he was, he's three time black belt world champion at the most competitive level. Right. Like, I mean, like literally not like, and like the masters The masters are super competitive now because there's a lot of old dudes who have been doing it for a oh, long yeah, time. Yeah. But like, this is the most competitive level. And before that I had Lucas Lepree, who's, um, you know, he's, he's like seven or eight time world champion. <laughs> And so I get to train with these guys. And, um, I mean, Leo, when you make brown belt, he does not. I mean, I'm training with – I'm either rolling with another brown belt or a black belt, and I just get smoked. And then <laughs> when uh, when I do get a lower belt, I just have a big target on my back. Yep. And it's even – I try to keep the seal background down to, like, a, like a minimum because yep. I'm like, man – when they know that, it, they're going to come at me even harder. <laughs> and and not that I mind it, but I'm you know I'm trying. This is for me is a journey. Yeah. It's, I'm, I'm trying to keep my body intact. Um, and I think maybe you've had a little bit of experience to oh to, yeah. To yeah at least empathize with that. Well, we've got I've got like two minutes. I got to shut down in order to make it to the airport to catch my. Sorry, flight. I'm long winded. No, I, I don't like know it. if we made made I, much I, ground. I like it. <laughs> yeah, we're good. But I want okay. Take two minutes because what. So what do you think, with all this stuff that you've done, now you've been into archery for six months? Yeah, yeah I guess about four months or four so. Months. Four months, yeah. So what do you think? 
I mean, is it a life sport for you now? A hundred percent. I love it. Um, uh, I, I I will admit openly for the listeners out there that I, I did shoot my silverback through my bow and I, I'm offline <laughs> for a couple of weeks while it's getting fixed because I damaged my the cable slide. I Embarrassingly, I think I had some, uh, I'm not going to say target panic, but maybe that's what it was. Yeah. If you were to diagnose it, that's probably what you would say. Yeah. Um, yeah. People, people call and say all the time that, you know, it somehow the, the trigger broke off while their thumb was on it. And, <laughs> and so honestly, if there's a big dent in the back of your bow, it's because the release was going forward. It's not because <laughs> it, if a trigger breaks off in your hand, it's still going to be attached and you can let it down. But <laughs> there's a local dude. He's a, he's an old army guy who like saw me every weekend for like three straight weeks. And uh, he was great. He fixed my bow up, and he's like, "Oh, let me tune this thing for you because I got out tune." Um, yeah. But uh, so for me, what I find, and and literally, I'm I'm living in the Truman Show right now. I live in the <laughs> suburbs of Atlanta in an old historic area called Roswell. I got like a quarter acre. I got a backyard. Um, all the, uh, there's one arrow you gave me that I have no idea where it is, and there's like a busy street <laughs> behind my house, so I'm a little bit worried about that. Um, but uh, but it's the focus, right? It's being able to like it's 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 you know, like an activity not too dissimilar from jujitsu for me. Like when I fight in jujitsu, I don't think about anything else. Like the life's stress and pressures of the world there. I'm trying not to get choked or my head ripped off. Right. So archery is a very similar thing when, you know, you have so many variables that if you have one little thing wrong, you, you could throw your whole shot off and like, and it's not like, I mean, it's, it's more complicated than shooting a gun, you know, where you're, you got your front sight focus and you got your sights lined up and you're blasting it. Right. Yeah. Good trigger pull like this. If you don't have your, your anchor, right. If you don't have your front grip, right. If you're not lining up your sights, right. Everything can go wrong. So for me, it's like going out there and just like putting like, and I'm, I'm really busy right now, so I don't get to do it all the time, but you know, we're going to bring targets into our headquarters and at Killcliffe and start doing it there. But Hit sitting at twenty yards and trying to hit a you know a dot the size of maybe a two inch dot is challenging and it, for me it just the focus that goes into it and I don't want to stop so I'll, I'll I'll limit myself say all right I'm gonna shoot thirty arrows right now because if I don't stop I won't spend time with my kid so I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna do thirty arrows right before my commute right after my commute and when I get home and then uh, go in and hang out with the family so for me it's been I think it's gonna be an awesome journey I'm excited about it. That's awesome. All right, man. Well, I got to bounce. We got to roll. Thanks Very so cool. much. Yeah. Appreciate awesome. it, dude. Yeah. And we'll do you. another one when we got more time for sure. Knock on, everybody. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock on lifestyle clothing. Knockonarchery.com. <laughs>